Okay, let's get going, and uh, so good to see everybody. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve, and I decided to uh, suspend our, our Hebrew study just today because of being Christmas Eve, and I want to share some thoughts about Christmas and the meaning of the Lord's coming into our realm, and um, so we'll take up, Lord willing, Hebrews next Sunday, continue that, that'll be part 14, I think we're at in, uh, in Hebrews, but, um, but this morning I just want to share some thoughts about the incarnation and what it meant and what it means that he would come into our realm through the womb of a woman born under the law, destined to fulfill it and release us from it forever. Lord, we just thank you that the Holy Spirit can show us these things because they are invisible things. There are things that are foreign to the natural mind, but there are things that can be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the power of the Spirit to reveal to us the things that belong to you and now to us because we are in union with you. As you are, so are we in this world, Lord. You have made it so. You have begun a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Those who are born of the Spirit can see the kingdom of heaven. You can see it. Unless you be born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Another reality, a parallel universe right here, right now, on earth, in the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for this reality. For the kingdom of heaven is within you by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would, let's, t- let's turn to Daniel chapter 9. I want to look briefly at this amazing, amazing prophecy concerning the coming of Christ, when Messiah would, would come, and what he would do when he came. It's an amazing, amazing prophecy that is accurate to the, to the day. A prophecy given hundreds of years before his birth. Now this prophecy, just as some background, if, you tur- if you're turning to uh, Daniel chapter 9... This prophecy was so important. This was the one that God sent Gabriel to deliver to Daniel. Daniel in Babylon began to read the writings of Jeremiah. Well, he not began, but he was reading the writings of Jeremiah. And in Babylon, he read where Jeremiah said that they would be in captivity. His people would be in captivity for 70 years. And the 70 years was coming to a close now. Daniel was an older man now. He was taken captive, very young, and now he was an older man reading the prophecy of Jeremiah, and he saw that the 70 years was almost up, that it was time for God's people to return to Israel. So he began to pray, Daniel began to pray for wisdom and insight in how this was going to happen, and, and you know, what, when, is this, when is the day going to come finally that our people will go back to Israel, back home? So as he was praying, um, there was a great war in the heavens. Um, Daniel prayed for an answer, but unbeknownst to him, in the invisible realm, 
there was a powerful demonic prince over Persia, over what is called today Iran, powerful demonic power that was, and that's, that's where Daniel was, in that area, that Persian-Iranian realm in, in Babylon, and in that area. And this Persian prince, this, this demonic prince, as revealed in the book of Daniel, resisted Gabriel from getting through to Daniel to give him the answer. The scripture says that the day Daniel prayed for an answer, God dispatched Gabriel. The day he asked for it. But the answer did not come for 21 days. Sometimes we pray and we wonder why God's not answering. We must be wise and realize that there is a war going on. And Gabriel was coming to give the message to Daniel and the powerful forces of this realm, this world, resisted Gabriel from delivering God's message to his servant. 21 days he resisted. It's, It's a war. God then dispatched Michael, the warring angel, to fight off this prince to let Gabriel through. I love this drama. Isn't this awesome? I could see this in a movie. It's like, so God sends Michael, the warring angel, because Gabriel is an angel. He's an archangel. There are three archangels. There's Michael, the angel in charge of warring. Gabriel, who's in charge of the delivering of the word of God, the messenger. And Lucifer, who was in charge of worship. Three archangels. And, of course, we know Lucifer fell and took a third of the angels with him, which I believe God replaced his worshiping uh, archangel with you, the bride, because now we worship him. Now we sit with him in heavenly places, and the enemy hates that because that's, he wanted that seat. He said, I will be like the most high. I will take over his throne. I will be like, I will, I will, I will. And God says, no, you won't. And he gave it to weak human beings. For God saves not angels, but the sons of Abraham. He gave it to weak human beings and exalted us and recreated us new and joined himself to us as his, as his beloved bride and gave us his throne. And that's why he is so angry. That's why the enemy is so angry. That's why you have authority over him because the Lord has blessed you and has rejected Lucifer. Anyway, so here's, here's Michael battling to let Gabriel's message go through. And, it, and after 21 days, he's able to hold this prince back must have been a powerful prince because Michael had a few days to work with this. I and mean, it took a few days for Michael to get him back. And one reason the enemy fought so hard about this word coming from Gabriel to Daniel is because it is the most definitive prophecy in all of Scripture that pinpoints when Messiah would be born, therefore telling you who this Messiah would be. And it also tells you what his work would do. The invisible work of Christ would be revealed in this prophecy that still was not known and not revealed until after he accomplished it. For the enemy did not understand, the scripture says, the hidden wisdom. Had the enemy understood the hidden wisdom, he would not have crucified the Lord glory. So this is powerful because even the enemy didn't understand it all. And he certainly didn't want this word to come forth to men of when Messiah would be on the earth and who he would be. So he fought with all he had to stop it, but the Lord prevailed. The message came. Now, Gabriel is the one who is giving the message to Daniel of this prophecy. We we know it as the 77s of Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy in chapter 9. And Daniel tells, I mean, Gabriel tells Daniel what the Messiah is going to accomplish, what's going to happen when he comes. Many people don't realize what 
I mean, I didn't realize this as a believer for years. I didn't realize for maybe 10 years or 12 years, 15 years as a believer, how cataclysmic the Lord's coming. I mean, God coming into our realm is, is not just about babies and mangers and wise men. I mean, I mean, everything changed. God takes on human flesh and dies. In the book of Acts, there's a verse in the book of Acts that calls it the blood of God. There's a phrase, the blood of God, in the book of Acts. Awesome, powerful phrase. God, through his son, shed blood on this planet and was raised again from the dead and began a whole new thing. I mean, this is cataclysmic. It's so cataclysmic, it's, it's really amazing that we are so blind and still over here arguing about, are we still under the law? Are we not under the law? Are we, you know, are the Jews God's chosen people? Or who's the cho- I mean, who's, is God, I mean, it's ridiculous when you see the spiritual reality. It's so mind-blowing, I can see why we didn't see it. But it is so powerful. It literally catapults you and I out of this realm into his realm so that on a daily basis we are more conscious of his kingdom than this kingdom. More conscious of the kingdom we've been translated into, the kingdom of of the beloved son, this other reality, this parallel universe where now suddenly God has become your papa. That was not true before. See, that's a new reality where now suddenly you are as righteous as God himself, as a gift from God. That was not true before, before you believed, before I believed. That you actually join to him and actually transcend this realm and by the Spirit sit with him in heavenly places as you are with him in the heavens, so is he with you on earth. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. That was not true before you believed. A transcendent reality, another world, another place, a place where love is always towards you, a place where favor is towards you, not because you're doing good, not because you're obeying rules, but the favor is upon you because you're in the Son. He placed all things in His Son, then He placed you and I in His Son when we believed. It's such a rest. It's it's beyond, uh, the Sabbath rest cannot begin to describe the true rest. It was but a picture of the true rest where we cease from our own works for, for anything. Works to be good, works to please God, works to, to earn his love, works to, to be a better person. We cease from all works as God did cease from his when he created all things and said it, it is good. And God rested on the seventh day because it was done. And that's how it is with you. For you and I have been created in Christ Jesus created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we merely would walk in because the good works are in us because he's in us. Merely walk in your destiny that is inside of you. A rest, a Sabbath rest. So we cease from our own works and enter into his work, his rest. Anyway, it's just amazing. It's boggling what happened in, in his coming into the world. And so the reason why Daniel's prophecy is so misunderstood is because most people do not believe that he really did all that this prophecy said he did. 
And it's, it's amazing to me because it's so clear in the prophecy and in the writings of the apostles that he did exactly every single thing. I read a commentary just this morning as I was reviewing this for this morning, and, and one of the commentaries said, and now we know that he didn't accomplish all these things yet. We know that, you know, sin is still in the world, and, you know, Israel has not repented, and we know that, you know, so we know this is not, this will come when he, you know, all this will be fulfilled when his second coming, when he comes back. We know that everlasting righteousness is not in the world yet, and I'm going like, oh my God. See, we're blind to this unbelievable good news that Paul and John and Peter and James talked about. A righteousness has come, as Paul says, he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. See, that's why Jesus said, when I return to earth, shall I find faith on the earth? When I return, shall I find faith? Shall I find someone who believed I did it? It's awesome. But when you see this, saints, in fullness, especially at Christmas, when you think about his coming into the realm, coming into our realm and what he came to do, it, it literally, like a computer virus, it begins to work on the inside of you. It's the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like leaven. You, receive, you take in, you take in his work. You believe on this Jesus. You believe on his work. You believe his word that he did what he said he did. You just take it into your heart. You don't work it. I hate that phrase, work in the word. No, we don't work the word. The word works in us. Yes. You know? That's, that's, that's weariness. I, I mean, I can't stand this teaching that says you've got you to cast down every thought, every bad imagination. You've got to work the word. You've got to put this on your refrigerator. You've got to put this on your mirrors. You've got to work it, work it, work it, work it. Ah! What happened to rest? You know, that's, that verse is not even quoted correctly. That verse says this. The verse that's, that says casting down imaginations, the verse actually says if you take out the italicized words that are not in the Greek, because, see, the italicized words are, guess what? You. The word you is added there. You do this, you do that. Take out the italicized words out of that passage, and it reads like this. We are not, we don't have weapons that are weak as carnal fleshly weapons, but our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's, it basically says, this gospel in you itself, the truth itself, will pull down uh, thoughts, will reorder your mind that in, 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 term, in terms of anything that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God. It's like a virus. You, you receive it in and you rest and it takes over your mind until you start seeing God as, no, he's not against me, he is for me. No, he is my dad. No, he does love me. No, he is with me. No, I am in one with him. I am in union with him. Oh my God. And then it's just, and then you're not trying to, you're not working anything. The word is working in you. Paul says, when the word was preached to you, this word which works effectually in you who believe. See, Paul says, this word works effectually in you who simply believe. You just believe. Just believe. Jesus said that. Didn't I say that if you only believed, you would see the glory of God? This word is powerful. It's, it's coming from the breath of God. It was, it was sent even in the beginning stages through Gabriel to tell Daniel what he was going to do. It was sent. You know, that's why Mary was like so favored and blessed by God when she heard this word. She said, be it unto me according to your word. This comes from the heart of God, this revelation of the Son. The Son's work to remove all sin, to finish all transgression, to make a, a, um, reconciliation for all iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To, to, to make an end of a people and a city that God has been with for centuries. For 490 years is determined upon your people, Daniel. 
and your holy city, Daniel. It's coming to an end. A new people will arise. The people of the prince, the prince of peace, who are neither Jew nor Gentile. A new creation is coming, Daniel. A new holy city is coming, Daniel. A new temple, Daniel. It's all coming to an end. All that you see with your eyes is coming to an end. 490 years at the, from the time that the decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. So here's Daniel in captivity in Babylon. And the prophecy comes to him. And Daniel says, 490 years, 70 times 7 years are determined, are determined now for your people and your holy city. The Jewish people and Jerusalem. 490 years which will begin to be counted from the time the decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. You can count it from the decree that when the decree comes forth, count it, 490 years. There'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens and a seven, or one last seven-year period. Seven sevens, 449 years, then 62 sevens, and then the last seven years of the prophecy. The Messiah was prophesied to come at the end of the seven sevens and 62 sevens or 69 sevens. So at the end of the 69 sevens of years, which is 483 years, from the decree that goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah, the prince, would come, would be revealed. Pinpoint, pinpoint, hundreds of years before his coming. And in the beginning of that last seven-year period, Something would happen in the midst, in the middle of that seven-year period, three and a half years later. Now, that, that, I'm going to put it on the board real quick, but that, that end of the 483 years from the decree from Xerxes to rebuild Jerusalem, that seven-year period began when the Holy Spirit came down and the Father spoke from heaven and John the Baptist, the forerunner, said, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the beginning of the last seven-year period. Notice it was Gabriel that came to Daniel to tell him about this prophecy. And it was the same angel, Gabriel, that came back into our realm to tell Mary and John the Baptist's father. You see that? That's the key. The same angel that brought the message to Daniel of the 77s is the same angel that was sent to, now the time has come. He comes to Mary, says, you are the one. And to John's father. Remember John's father, went, he went deaf because he, he, he uh, didn't believe initially. Mary did. But John's father did not initially. And so the, the angel said, you shall be unable to speak until he's born. And then when he was born, John the Baptist was born, his father said, they, they were going to name him all kinds of things, family names and stuff. And he knew what the angel had told him. And he said, his name is John. And when he said John, he could speak again. I love that. God says his name shall be John. And all the family was trying to think of names to name little John the Baptist. And, and his father, you know, he cannot speak. And then he just said, one day at the table, he goes, his name. And they're like, oh, my God, he speaks. Is John. You know, I love it. So Gabriel comes into our realm and tells John's father who, uh, who John the Baptist would be, his own son, who, he'd be a forerunner, who would prepare the way for the Christ, and then he would tell Mary. That's a huge clue. Okay, so at the coming of Christ, in, in, when, he was, when he was revealed 
out in the wilderness. See, this is God's way of doing things. Here's John the Baptist, who was sent to be the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. He's rejected by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like, who, who do you think you are? You know, crowds are coming to John out in the woods and out in the fields and out in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people, saying, repent, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is coming. And the Pharisees says, who does he think he is? And then they're sitting on, I can see him standing on this mountain, looking down and saying, are you, do you claim to be the prophet or the Messiah? I mean, who are you? What, what, what are you doing out here? I mean, what, by what authority do you do this? You know? And so, and it's just like God to reveal himself to those outside the system. So they're out in the wilderness with John the Baptist handpicked by God to be Christ's forerunner. And at the fullness of time, when Jesus was about 30 years old, he comes to John. John knew him. It was his cousin. He was his cousin. They had grown up together, known each other from time to time. He knew what his cousin was like. Such a godly man. Such a kind man. I mean, no one's had a single bad thing to say about his cousin. I mean, why is he here asking for repentance? I mean, John goes, cousin, I need to be baptized by you. I know your life. You know, at, at this point, he didn't, he didn't realize who he is. He says, my, he's my cousin. He's the you know, best cousin I've ever had. He's like, unbelievable, cousin, you know? And then, so the, Jesus said, let all things be fulfilled, John. And so then, so John says, okay, so... He baptizes him, you know, a picture of people turning from their sins, turning from their way of thinking, something new is coming. And when he does, as the father prophesied to John, when he comes, you will know him for the spirit of God will come and remain on him in the form of a dove. So John is like not even thinking this could be his cousin, you know, and then all of a sudden, the light, the light comes from the heavens. Jesus comes up out of the water and looks up. And John goes, oh, my God. And then here's the, the dove coming down to light on him. It doesn't light and go away. Go away. This is the key. It, the scripture says it shall remain on him. What happened, I think, is the spirit came down in the form of a dove, landed on him, and dissolved and disappeared in him. Just like, just didn't fly away. And so here's John going, oh, my God. And he knelt and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the other disciples of John said, who is he? Let's go follow him. And John says, go. And, you know, as he said before, I must decrease, he must increase. And so the the disciples started following Jesus. And they turned to Jesus as he was walking away. And they said, "Where, where where do you live? Where do you live, master? And I love this. Jesus turned to them and said, come, come and see. I love that. He says, come, come and see where I live. I believe that in that very moment he was thinking, oh, if you only knew where I live. I live in my father's heart. I live in the heavens while I walk this earth. He said that to Nicodemus, chapter 3. He said, oh, Nicodemus, what if I should ascend up to the heavens even now before your very eyes where I am now in heaven, Nicodemus? Nicodemus goes, wait, what'd you say? You know? 
This is so cool. Listen, this is huge. He has come into our realm to change everything, everything. And the main thing he came to do was to take away the one thing that separates us from him. Notice the six things in the prophecy from Gabriel to Daniel. Six things were mentioned that he would do. The first three, the first three, Talk about sin. He shall finish the transgression. He shall make an end of sin. He shall make all reconciliation for all iniquity. The first three things, it's on, it's on God's heart to totally wipe away anything that would keep you and him from each other. And, Don, and John said it very succinctly when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And those three, three things can be broken down in transgression, and sin itself and iniquity. And the prophecy says he will, he will blast it away. He will bring in, after these things, he will bring in the fourth thing, everlasting righteousness. Because God himself will give us his own righteousness. And man would begin to walk on the earth in a way that was never possible before. Man could then, through faith, by grace, through faith, walk on the earth as righteous as the Son of God. For He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In this new covenant, I'll remember their sins no more and I will be merciful to all their iniquities. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and in the world itself, not like the covenant I made with them when I brought them out of Egypt shall not be like that covenant. He shall take us to another place. He shall bring that place here. That place is actually in himself. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, expand it to all who believe. And we are witnesses, the scripture says, of this kingdom, of this realm, until he comes again. Witnesses of the invisible reality. And the witness of this kingdom, the good news of this kingdom shall go into all the world, all the world, the scripture says, and then shall the end come. And what's happening now in our generation is that the blinders are being pulled off and legalism is being defeated. The enemy's, the enemy's main weapon is the law. The scripture says he nailed their weapons to the tree. He took their weapons, the laws, the things that the enemy uses against you to accuse you. He nailed it to the tree. He made an open show of them, taking away their weapons, their authority, their power. So now we have this, we have this, this edict from God. Shout from the housetops now. I couldn't tell you much before it happened because it was a hidden thing. The enemy, I, I kept the enemy in darkness until it was done when he couldn't, he couldn't reverse it. But now, now, shout it from the housetops. He can't reverse it. It's done. I sit on the right hand of God. After having purged us of our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. A new world has come. And that which you see with your eyes will all pass away. For the truth is now shining, John says. And this which we see with our eyes is already passing away now, John said. What is real, what is true, is now in him. We have a kingdom that cannot be dissolved. He shakes things once more, the scripture says. All things shall be shaken once more at his second coming. And those who are connected to that which cannot be shaken shall remain. 
All who hitch their wagon to that which is of this world shall be destroyed. But those who are in him and he in us, his bride eagerly awaits for him. For he shall come a second time without regard to sin, for he took care of that in his first coming. But he shall come a second time to take us away. The reality of a new, a new earth. The, all of creation groans, Romans says, Romans 8. All of creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. See, all of creation is groaning to have complete redemption that you have now in the spiritual. Our bodies will be redeemed as we see him for in that he has the power to subject all things to his glorious self, the scripture says. When we see him, that's why the body is changed when you see him in the sky because it's the same principle when you see him in the spirit. Our mind's renewed. In the same way when you see him in the sky, the body's renewed. It's all the same. It's all consistent. When you're an unbeliever, you get born again by seeing him. When you're a believer, you get renewed in your mind by seeing him. When you're in your body as a new creation and he comes back, your body's transformed by seeing him. It's awesome. It's all consistent. It's all, cons- it's all God's way. It's a revelation of him. And in that, we're born again, we grow in him, and we're transformed, even the body itself, in that he is able to subject, subject all things to himself by just his be- being. This is power. You see him, and you cannot help. You don't have to exert any energy to become immortal. Can you imagine trying to work the word to get the skin to be immortal, you know? I got to hurry. Oh, Jesus is coming. I got to work the word. Okay, I got to believe this. I, okay, I'm going to put on immortality. I'm going to put on immortality. I believe it. No. You just see him. You just look. And in the light of his rays, I love that in Malachi where it says, for the son of righteousness shall rise. It's a prophecy of the Christ. The son, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in his, the, the translation is wings, but the original Hebrew is not wings. It's rays. It's, it's translated wings because the rays coming from the clouds of a, of a, a sunrise looks like wings. But the actual translation is the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his rays. The light, the very light of Christ brings healing so that when you see, that's why it renews the mind. That's why it gives you life when you first believe. That's why it transforms the body when you see him face to face when he comes. We shall see him face to face. The power of his presence is like there's healing in his, in his rays, the rays of his light. And John the Baptist's father prophesying of his son John said oh my God the sun sunrise from on high has visited us isn't that awesome he was talking about the Christ and he's prophesying about his son he said the sunrise from on high has visited us and led our feet into the way of peace for we sat in darkness and gross darkness and depression and dreariness and gloom and guilt and without hope And he, the sunrise from on high, has visited us and has shined upon us and has guided our feet into the way of peace. Peace with God and peace with ourselves and peace with each other. Awesome. Oh, man, I I just... So... What time is it? Okay. Um, Just real quick, I'm going to put some dates up here. One of these days, I'm going to really do this right. I'm going to put it on a piece of paper and hand out... I hand out... But if you want to take a look at this, this is so cool. The prophecy to rebuild the temple began. Let 
I'm just going to do this real fast so you can just have it if you want to write it down in a, on a piece of paper. And then you have, from this decree, you have seven sevens and 62 sevens. And by the way, this is so cool. The reason why the, the prophecy breaks it up to seven sevens and 62 sevens, I mean, the angel could say there'll be 69 sevens until Messiah the Prince and then the last seven years, right? The reason why he broke it up is because exactly 49 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, Nehemiah did the last act in rebuilding Jerusalem. Exactly 49 years after the decree went forth, Nehemiah finished. So 49 years it took to rebuild Jerusalem. Look how perfectly accurate this is. So 49 years, the, the work on Jerusalem ends. Then there's another period of, a long period of time, 62 sevens of years before the Messiah would be revealed. Okay, this is, you know what this year is right here? Remember, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, right? All of your Bibles, pretty much mine does, everybody recognizes that our calendar is, is off Four years. In, in the timeline of your Bible, if you look at it, the birth of Christ, is not zero. It's 4 B.C., roughly. Okay, so Jesus was born because of the problem with our calendar, which is just like God, because you know what this means? It means it's later than you think. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like this 4 B.C., it's like we think it's... We think it's uh, we think it's 19, uh, whatever it is. What is it? No, it's, it's 2012, right? I'm still back in the night. We think it's 2012, but it's really only 20, it's only 2008. So when you try to fit all your little prophecy things in your mind and stuff, um, and things don't happen like you planned, it's because it's 2008. I guess it's not sooner than we think, it's later than we think. Or, or it's, it's just off. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here, all right, 4 B.C., this is, you know what this is right here from 457 B.C. to the end of this, this 490, is 26 A.D. So when you do the math, 457 and 26, you get 483. When you do the math here, 49 plus 62 sevens. Okay, I can't, I can't even add. Um, so when you add these two, 434 in years and 49 years, you get 483. So exactly, 483 is from 457, the decree that goes forth and rebuild Jerusalem, pushes it past the zero mark here, to 26 AD, which is perfect because the calendar is off four years, which means when you add four and 26 together, Jesus is 30 years old in 26 AD, which is the beginning of the revelation of the Messiah from John the Baptist. So the next seven years, the scripture says in the prophecy, in the midst of the last seven-year period, he shall put an end to the sacrifice. Jesus' ministry lasted three and a half years. In the midst of that seven-year period, three and a half years, he put an end to the sacrifice. Now, this is what's so cool. God sees this last seven years as a final proclamation to his own people, the Jewish people. 
the last seven years, the prophecy even says that he shall magnify this covenant for seven years. God sees the son saying it the first three and a half years. He sees the sons and daughters of Israel saying it the next three and a half years. Remember that verse in Hebrews chapter one or two, I think it says the Lord himself confirming the word and his disciples with, and he with his disciples confirming the word with signs and wonders. Remember Peter said on the day of Pentecost, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy to you. You see, God saw the body of Christ as one with Christ himself. God, Jesus was still continuing. Book of Acts says he shall, he continued to do his word and his work through his disciples as his body. See, for seven years, God saw the son. Then he saw his, the sons of Israel as one. Even as, they were, as Paul was persecuting the, the church, Jesus said, why do you persecute me? You see it? God saw for seven years that he was sent to the lost house of Israel first. They had to hear it first because they were coming, it was coming to an end with them for, forever. They would never be the holy city again. They would never be the chosen people again. A new people would arise. 490 years ends right here. 490 ends right here. 490 years are determined for your people and your holy city, Daniel, to put an end of sin and transgression and iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness and end the whole status of a city on earth. For a new city shall be risen, a mother, the mother, your mother, Jerusalem, above a new heavenly reality, and your people will no longer be the chosen people of God after the flesh. For there shall be a new people, neither Jew nor Gentile, a new creation, the people of the prince, the prince of peace. See? That's what happened right here. And that's why this right here is the very, the very day Stephen was stoned. So at exactly 34, let's see, 30, it'd be 35, 26 A.D. Let's see, one, uh, or 30, let's see, 33, 33, sorry. They didn't te- teach me law, I mean, teach me math in law school. Okay. All right, 33, 26. Yeah, there, there you go, four plus three. Okay, this is, this is 33. You can check this out. This is actual historical data. 33 A.D. is when Stephen was stoned to death. That's why Stephen's stoning is in the book of Acts. That's why he gives this incredible summary of the whole Jewish history, beginning with Abraham. And he says, you always do resist God. He was giving their final close, the closing arguments. It was about to come to an end. The message has not gone out to the Gentiles yet. This was the mark of the end of the Daniel's prophecy. 490 years was happening. Paul was there as a witness and they were watching this. And Stephen, with power of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says he could not resist him for the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. He summarized the entire history of Israel and said, you do always resist God's prophets. Our fathers have always resisted him. God does not live in temples made with hands. You see, the temple shall come to an end. Your holy city, this temple shall come to an end 490 years later. That's what really bugged them because he said, God doesn't live in a temple made with stones. God shall raise up a new temple, which he did. At three days, he raised up a new temple. And he's saying, there's a whole new thing about to happen. And he said, and said, you were given the law and you did not keep it. And when they said those words, the scripture says the Pharisees could not stand it. When they said, you did not keep the law and they rushed on him the scripture says they gave their cloaks to Paul and in fear and anger and mad mad murderous spirit raised on to Stephen and threw stones at him as hard as they could and Stephen as he was being hit with the stones he looked up 
And the Father opened the heavens. The same vision that was given Daniel years ago of a king ascending to sit next to the Ancient of Days. He sees the Son of Man standing in the heavens and Jesus comforting Daniel. And Daniel goes, Oh God, lay this not to their charge. As rocks were hitting his face and blood was coming down. Lay this not to their charge. Father, the power of seeing Him can cause you to believe and forgive and show mercy in the midst of being stoned to death. That's how powerful His presence is. He saw Him in the heavens, exalted. It was the end of His people. It was the end of the city. It was the end of Jerusalem. It was the end of it all. And Paul was there as a witness. And that moment, the next chapter, the very next chapter, it says, and the word went out to the Gentiles. Persecution hit, persecution hit Jerusalem. The very next chapter, persecution hit Jerusalem. And they were scattered, bringing the word out everywhere. Peter was sent to Cornelius. Paul was arrested on the road to Damascus by the Lord himself. And the whole thing ex- exploded to the world because this had come to an end. Wow. Woo! That's why it's in there. That's why it's recorded. All of that so we can go back and see. The precision of God and how awesome this is. What, what a way to build our faith to see how God knew exactly what he was doing and the enemy could not stop it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to read something real quick. I put, I, I put a little short Christmas blog on my website. If you get a chance to look at it, I know we're running behind today. I just, man, this is so awesome. And when you see... The new, the new world has come. You know, they said, you know, they said as, as uh, the prophet said that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Elijah would come before God would destroy the earth and begin a new creation. Elijah would come and Jesus said, if you can receive this, Elijah has come. John, John was Elijah. Jesus himself said it. John's father prophesied of his son, John. He said, you shall come in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's in the prophecy. You see, men were looking for the man Elijah. It was the spirit and power of Elijah, one who would prepare the way for his coming. And Jesus said himself, if you can receive this, Elijah's already come. That means it's over. That's it. That means the cross was the day of the Lord. Men, men didn't realize it. Men didn't realize that judgment would come in a way they had no idea. Even John the Baptist had doubts and said, are you the one or should we look for another? I'd, judgment came on the cross and a new world opened up when that tomb opened up and all who believe are translated into his reality. Just briefly, this is very brief. I want you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes. I just want to read you my little Christmas block here, but just let the Spirit take you there. It's very short. A child was born. A son was given. And the world has never been the same since that night. When he entered our realm through the womb of a woman born under a law, yet destined to fulfill all law and release us from it forever. The only begotten Son, the Father's delight and joy, He gave His greatest treasure to us, for us, His only Son. 
We are now in union with Him who died for us, not because we have stopped sinning, but because He stopped counting our sins. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Only believe, Jesus said. Only believe, and you will see the glory of God. How beautiful are His feet that were pierced, that brought unspeakable good news to us, a Savior for us, for us, forever. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray my brothers and sisters will have the best Christmas ever this year, for we see more than we saw last Christmas of your goodness and your love. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.